going to uh, start this off in a bit of a different way. Uh, it is my privilege to inform all of you that after an objective survey, um, it has been determined that I am among some of the wisest people in the world. Now, some of you glanced over at my wife, and that is hurtful in order to see what her face would be. But no, I can, I, if I told you that I could objectively prove it, would you believe me? That I am among the wisest who have ever lived. Would you believe me? Would anybody? Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and give it a shot anyway. So, I have a, I have a story for you, and this, this is a true story. Ashton, Ashton and, and, and Carter, will you come here real quick? So, this is a Kit Kat. And let's say that there was a Sunday that, for whatever reason, Brother Samuel said, everyone is going to receive a Kit Kat, it's on me, or everyone is going to receive a candy bar. They get down to the bottom of the pile as, every, as he's passed them out to every teenager, and at the end of the line is, is Ashton and Carter. And at the bottom of the pile is this single Kit Kat. And, and Brother Samuel is faced with a very serious decision. Because yes. see, here's, it's not only that there is only one candy bar and two people, but, but this is Ashton and Carter. <laughs> now, now, Carter loves Kit Kats. I don't think, it's, it's an understatement to tell you, right, right, you, you yes, love sir. Kit Kats? Yes. Not, okay, okay. <laughs> Carter loves Kit Kats. I sit next to Carter in choir, and he loves Kit Kats so much, sometimes he will substitute the word Kit Kat into songs at random points. He loves Kit Kats. Wow. Ashton, though, equally loves Kit Kats. He has told me on numerous occasions that he will eventually legally change his name so that way his middle name is Ashton Kit Kat Everett yes. because he loves Kit Kats. And Brother Samuel, I mean, like, between the two, I mean, these two, the love for Kit Kats that these two have, like, it's a very difficult decision for him to make, and, and he, he, he doesn't believe he has the wisdom to make this decision, so they come to me, because I am a master of all things that has to do with arbitration. So, they ask me, who gets the Kit Kat? And I, I thought for a little bit, and then I decided... That maybe half a Kit Kat's better than no Kit Kat, right? Right? Okay, he agrees. Half a Kit Kat's better than no Kit Kat, right? Yes. They agree. All right, thank you. You can be seated. Problem solved, right? Yeah. Right? Okay, have I convinced you? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I see a lot, of, a lot of heads nodding. All right, all right. So I don't know. I'll throw this away later, I promise. Um, so... Obviously, that's, that wasn't all that complex of a decision to make. It's not impressive. I just broke the Kit Kat in half and I gave it to the both of them, right? Uh -huh. Okay, if I, made the, if I made the decision a little bit more difficult to make, would you, would you be convinced then? Okay, okay, we'll try it. So this is another incident involving Brother Samuel. Um, brother, brother Mark, if, if, if you would, or Brother Mike, sorry, I'm so sorry. So this is, this is Brody. This is Brother Samuel's dog. He's adorable, isn't he? I mean, this is the type of dog, look at that face. Anyone would want a dog with that face. And, and it came to my attention that one, one, one day, Pastor extended the opportunity for Brother Samuel to bring Brody to work, to have Brody involved in the work of the Lord. 
However, however, Miss Brielle was informed by Chick-fil-A management that they are moving the cow out and that Brody and his adorable features was suitable to be the new mascot of Chick-fil-A, but she needed to bring him in for a photo op on the same day that pastor told Samuel he could bring Brody to the church. And this caused immense marital strife between the two. True story, don't look at them, look at me. <laughs> and so of course, this is a difficult decision to make. A dog is man's best friend, man's best friend. Yeah. Brother Samuel has a strong desire for Brody to come and do the work of the ministry with him. However, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for this dog to be the new face of, of the worldwide chain Chick-fil-A. There's an equal, an equal opportunity here, and they come to me because I am so wise. <laughs> and they ask me, Jacob, in your wisdom, tell us who should get the dog. And so I tell them, Bring me the dog. <laughs> it worked on the Kit Kat, right? <laughs> I mean, so Brother Samuel, <laughs> he sees me with sword in hand and he says, Dude, stop, all right, she can have the dog. And Brielle's over there like, I, they only need the top half, really. I mean, <laughs> and so between the two, I decide, all right, Samuel gets the dog. A just decision, right? Because he, he was concerned about the life of his, of his canine best friend. And would you in that situation be convinced of my, my wisdom in my decision-making processes? Would, would you point at that incident and say, like, that, that is a wise man right there? Who would, raise your hand if you would do that. Okay, all right, I'm, I'm interested. So I feel like some of you are patronizing me, but that's okay. For those of you that don't believe me, though, I'm about to prove that you're a hypocrite. So if you would, please turn to the book of, whoopsies, please turn to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter number 3. 1 Kings chapter number 3. So, this is the, this is the beginning of, of Solomon's reign, and, and we'll be familiar with this passage as we go through it, uh, but I just wanted to, to kind of predicate that we, we have established, right, we, we know, it's, it's almost a reflexive thought in our mind that when we see the name Solomon, we think one of the wisest men who's ever lived, right? Right. right? We think that. We think that because the Bible says so. I'm going to put that to the test, okay? So... Chapter 3, verse number 1, it says, And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, 
Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now the Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. He's just speaking here in terms of his maturity. He's, he's a bit older, but he's, he's, he's not an aged man. He's, he's speaking to just his lack of experience and immaturity. He's saying, I, I don't know how to go out or come in. And thy servant, verse number eight, and thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor, asked, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise heart and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee, speaking to his wisdom. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so there shall be not any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all of his servants. Now, so Solomon has just been put in this position that God gives him the opportunity to ask for whatever he wants. And we know that the story goes that Solomon specifically asks for wisdom, particularly a heart of discerning judgment so that way he can adequately judge the people whom he has admitted he has no experience leading. And so God tells him, I will, I will give you this wisdom. Not only will I give you this wisdom, I will make you so wise that people can't even compare anyone else to you that you're so wise. We know that this is what happens. And with that in mind, knowing that that's the truth, I feel like I notice myself, sometimes I just kind of glance over the first story that follows. This is supposed to be, if, if thinking in terms of the biblical author, in terms of, okay, you're, you're telling people God's granting Solomon this amazing wisdom, so it only follows, right, that what's going what's gonna to come immediately after is an example of Solomon's incredible wisdom. So let's read it. Verse number 16. Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, O oh my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered that this woman was delivered also. And we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house save we two in the house. There's no one in there but us and these kids. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. She laid on top of it. And she arose at midnight and took my son 
from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son, which I did bear. And the other woman said, nay, but the living is my son and the dead is thy son. And this, and this said, no, but the dead is thy son and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Then, the, then said the king, the one that saith, this is my son that liveth and thy son is the dead and the other saith, nay, but thy son is the dead and my son is the living. He, you can tell he's probably a little bit exasperated at these two women going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And the king said, bring me a sword. <laughs> right. A man's answer if I've ever seen one, right? <laughs> he said, bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two. And give half to the one and half to the other. Then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O oh my Lord, give her the living child and in no wise slay it. But the other said, let it neither be mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. Now don't misinterpret me when I say this, though. Did I or did I not just do the same thing with the dog? <laughs> and you told me, no, I was not wise. You can apologize to me after the services. <laughs> Solomon, in this instance, is doing the same thing here. And, and really, when you think about this account, I mean, it, for that to be a measurement of wisdom, if it doesn't apply for me, we, we, just, I, we kind of default on our understanding that Solomon was just one of the wisest people to ever live because God said so, and so we don't really think about it. Like, why this story? Why is this chosen as his... his his crowning achievement, or perhaps one of the greatest moments in which he exercised wisdom because all he said, hey, let's just cut this baby in half. Yeah. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And it's, it calls into question some things about, about wisdom and, and what does wisdom look like? And because it says that Solomon is wise, but what exactly is he doing here that's worthy of being called wise? I mean, I'm sure there might, there might have even been other ways to determine who is the mother of the child. Like, why did he, why did he go with the sword option? Yeah. That's right. And maybe to give a little bit more background to this and, and where I'm going to go with it tonight, um, if y'all are in the couples class, we've just started a new series on the, the Bibbs book, um, it's searching for the big ideas, big ideas of the Bible study. So the idea is when, you, when you're reading a text... Um, you come to a text in scripture, you're supposed to, to read it and determine what's, what's the author's intent here. And one of the first things that you do is you highlight some words of importance in the passage and then also gather from the surrounding context in order to determine maybe what the author is, is trying to do here and, and what the Lord's trying to communicate. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to maybe take you on a little bit of that journey this evening because... If, if, you're t if you're taking this story at point blank, like this is your first time coming to it, you'll have to be honest that if this is a gauge of Solomon's wisdom, it's absurd. It doesn't make any sense. This is a standalone passage doesn't make any sense about how this demonstrates wisdom. 
So let's take a moment, minute to highlight a couple of important words in this chapter that we just read. I would say most of us would agree, we've said it multiple times, the, the operative word here would be wisdom, right? Yeah. Wisdom, discernment, judgment, the ability to exercise, the ability to exercise good judgment. That would be word one. And, whoop, man, I'm about to drop this thing all over the place. I don't know where to put it. I'm going to put it right here. All right. So, but what do you think the second word would be? There is a second word, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend why this would be the second key word in the passage. Sword. Okay, that seems, seems a little bit odd. So, I mean, like, of course it, it has a major role in the story. He's going to use it to divide a baby in half, all right? I mean, like, it's a pretty, it's a pretty key part of the account. I mean, it terrified one mother and the other one was like, all right, yeah, let's do it. But it's sword. And... Standing alone, if, you're just, if you just started at chapter 3 like we just did, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense why sword would be that word. So, so let's, let's go back a little bit. It's Sol Solomon's use of the sword here is in fact what is demonstrating the wisdom that God has given him. Yeah. But we have to have something to compare that to. Like what, We're comparing this to what? Like what, what do we have to go against in order to see that, okay, Solomon here is acting in wisdom? Well, let's go back to the book, uh, let's go back a chapter to chapter number two. In chapter number two, in verse number one, it says, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. That the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, being the Lord, a man on the throne of Israel. Excuse me. Now, David's, David's charging Solomon, you know, exactly the, the Davidic covenant, as it would be called, you know, you, you need to follow the Lord. Obviously, the Lord is who establishes your kingdom, so follow the Lord. The Lord is going to sustain you and give you what you need, so follow the Lord. That's, that's how you need to establish your kingdom. But, verse number five, he says, moreover, he's not, he's not speaking, I, I want to point out here that David's not technically speaking on God's behalf here. And we might, we might overlook that if we're just kind of casually reading it. But David says, moreover, thou knowest also what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, and to Abner, the son of Ner, and unto Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he slew, and shed the blood of war in peace, and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins, and in his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore... According to thy wisdom, and let not his forehead go down to the grave in peace. So Solomon already is being associated here with his wisdom. So Solomon has already been commanded. Prior to him asking God for wisdom, David is telling his son, all right, according to, according to the wisdom that you have, act on this situation as you will. But it kind of gives him some parameters, like don't let Joab go down easy, all right? But show kindness unto the sons of, this verse number seven, show kindness unto the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be of those that eat at thy table. For so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom, thy brother. And behold, thou hast with, with thee Shimei, the son, of, the son of Gera, a Benjamite of Baharim, 
which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Man Mahanaim. Sorry. But he came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swear to him by the Lord, saying, I will, I, David, I will not put thee to death with the sword. Now, therefore hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man, Solomon's wisdom here, for thou art a wise man, and knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him, but, bring, but his whorehead bring thou down to the grave with blood. And so David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the days that David reigned over Israel were forty years, seven years reigned he in Hebron, and thirty and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. Verse number 12, Then Solomon sat upon the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. Now it says, and his kingdom was established greatly. The verses that follow before we get to chapter 3 is going to explain exactly how that happened. So, just prior to this, just prior to this to give a little bit of context, because this is the first guy to go. So, Adonijah was Solomon's half-brother. Um, as David was dying... He decided like, hey, pff, I'm the favorite. Let's go throw a party. I'm going to be king next. And he decided to go and throw himself a party to be crowned the next king without the king actually saying so. That got him in quite a bit of trouble. Um, and anyways, the Solomon, Solomon has, has chosen to, to, to spare him in this case because he was named the king and Adonijah feared for his life. But we're going to, Adonijah comes back in this picture. And Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. I'm not going to bother necessarily reading the text in this part but basically he comes and and the the king's the the girl that was given to the king in his old age to minister to him while he was while he was sick uh, Adonijah basically comes around and says all right I've been denied the throne but I I want this girl that was with the king to to be my wife and that would just seem kind of an innocent request but in this particular instance anyone that would have had close proximity to the king um, that, that would basically be a foot in the door towards the throne, right? He's, he's, it would give an indication that he's trying to take another step up. And so Bathsheba says, all right. Solomon's mother says, all right, I'll talk to him. And so she talks to Solomon and he says, why not just ask for him the kingdom as well, right? Go kill him. And that's what he, I mean, he really, his, his first response to, Adonijah, to, to Adonijah's seeming opposition to him is he's like, all right, somebody take a sword, go kill him. And Adonijah dies. And then he goes to the priest Abiathar, and Abiathar was, um, was also kind of a, not a co-conspirator, but he was kind of with the party. And so Solomon says, he kicks him out of the priesthood, and when Joab hears about that, Joab that David was telling Solomon to deal with, he feared for his life, and so he ran to the temple, and he grabs onto the horns of the altar, and, and Solomon tells another one of his guys, he says, all right, it's his turn, take a sword, go kill him. So he runs to the altar, and, and, and Joab's on the altar, and he, sa and he says, hey, come out here. I'm not going to kill you in there. And he says, no, no, I'll die here. And he's uncomfortable about doing that in the tabernacle, so he comes back to Solomon. And he says, hey, this is what he said. And he's like, okay, do what he said. Go kill him. So he has him take a sword, and he goes and he kills him. Yeah. And then we have Shimei. Shimei's took a little bit longer. Um, basically, because of what he did, Solomon tells him, listen, you're gonna, he, he parked him in a city and says, you're going to stay put right here. If you leave, I'm going to kill you. And it was, I think, three years maybe, the, 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 the text says so, it's several years down the road. He, he, he just does that. He leaves. And Solomon tells him, he said, hey, I warned you, sends a guy out with a sword. And he kills him. Now, the object here is not necessarily, like, 
Could we, spend, could we spend time debating about whether Solomon was right or wrong in exercising that type of judgment over these people? I don't know. But the king told him to act according to, act according to his wisdom. And every example that we have thus far in Solomon's kingship of him acting according to his wisdom is he is taking his position as king and this tool to enforce his power and he's using it to uplift himself. Because immediately after, after all of the blood that Solomon sheds with the sword, it says, and so was the kingdom of Solomon established. So it started with, and Solomon's, Solomon's kingdom was established greatly. These stories follow, and then it concludes it with, and so the kingdom of Solomon was established. He took his position, he took this tool, he exercised his wisdom and his judgment, and so was established the kingdom of Solomon. His reputation was, in some cases, I'm... I'm eliminating the people that my father either told me to, told me to get rid of or, or people that would be a threat to my throne. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't advertly call Solomon selfish. And again, like I said, we could argue about whether or not he might have been justified in, in exercising the judgment that he did. But again, the product of, of this wisdom, prior to Solomon asking for God's wisdom, you have this, you have this I, I, I want to I hammer in on the fact that his position as the king... And the tool that he uses to enforce his position as the king yielded a certain result when used with his wisdom. Yeah. And that was, that, that was people dying. Like he, people died right. when used with his wisdom. That was the product. He exercised his judgment and that led to a loss of life. And when you then turn around, immediately following this when it comes to then the Lord appearing to Solomon and telling him, you know, ask me what, what I should give you. And Solomon then asks for wisdom. He says, listen, Lord, I, I don't have any experience. I, I, I don't know how to go out and come in. There's, there, you, you've given me charge over so great a people. I, I need help. I need the ability to exercise wisdom and discernment. As, as my father had faith in me to do, he, I, I don't know, I'm not sure what happened in between these things, but he, he evidently had some conscious awareness of that. And so God, God grants him this wisdom. And so... Immediately before, when we, had, when we had examples of Solomon's using his, his position and his tool to enforce his position, used in accordance to his own wisdom, we saw the product of that. And so when we get to chapter 3 with the stories of these, these two harlots, I think what we see is a contrast to that. Solomon asks for wisdom. Now, had Solomon's position changed? Did anything about Solomon's kingship change? I'm pointing a sword at you. Answer me. No. All right. <laughs> Did the tool that he used to enforce his kingship change? I mean, he, he, that's what he asked for. I mean, when, when, when it came time to, to exercise judgment, what did Solomon say? Give me a sword. Like all the other times before, he's like, give me a sword. But there was no loss of life this time. He was able to use his position and his authority and the same tool, the same tool that could cause devastating destruction using wisdom. Wisdom was the difference between the product of his, of, of, of his wisdom producing people, people dying, blood being shed, and life being preserved. Yeah. And so, that's how you can make sense of the story. I mean, first of all, that, when you put it in that perspective, doesn't the story make a little bit more sense why the author would choose that particular instance to demonstrate Solomon's wisdom? Yeah, makes sense. Is that Solomon's, Solomon's position 
and the means through his, his responsibility to enforce his position, because mind you, kings, kings primarily had a military responsibility. They went out to battle. They had a sword. A sword was a big deal. It was a big part of his role. So his position did not change. Part of his request to God, when, when he requested God's wisdom, God didn't say, all right, I'm going to change you to this, and this is going to help you be better. And he didn't say, well, I'm going to give you this now and rather than this, and this is going to make you be better. No, his responsibilities, his position, his tools hadn't changed. The only thing that had changed was the wisdom that he was relying on. And that changed his focus from uplifting himself to simply upholding the truth. And in this particular case, it was literally the truth that, that life is valuable. Life is valuable. I mean, you can contrast the two, the two frames of view of the, of the harlots in this instance because the mother of the actual child says, listen, life's more important. If you just give her the kid. Don't, don't take the child's life. I mean, that response was very deliberate. Whereas the other woman who was more concerned about herself because think about it in this way, um, that was her, when that kid grows up, guess who's going to have to earn an income to provide for her? I mean, the, the real mom would have been at a loss to just let this kid go. So you have to understand, there were selfish reasons why, for which these women would argue over whose baby this is. Yeah. Because they're harlots. They don't have husbands. They don't have, they don't have men who is bringing home an income. That This son was going to grow up and was going to provide their income. One of them dies. And so one, they, one of them has the opportunity for, for security to uplift herself, to ensure her own security. She switches sons. And you can see that carried out in her response and that at the end of the day, she says, all right, well, if, if I can't have him, no one can. I mean, it is, it is, the distinction is between whether one chooses to uplift oneself or to uphold the truth. That is the distinction that wisdom makes and that's what's demonstrated in Solomon's wisdom here. And that, and so I'll submit to you, I guess in a, in a technical sense, I submit to you, that's the reason, that's exactly the reason why this passage is included and why we should, in fact, uphold Solomon as one of the wisest men who have ever lived. Yeah, amen. I mean, really, you can, see, you can see that he understood like his position and his tools hadn't changed, but what had, to, what had to be different was what was most important, what truth was most important of being upheld here. Was it just my right to kingship, my right to decide the fate of people, or was it to uphold, to uphold the life that God created in this instance? And it wouldn't be preaching without proper application, so... I'll land it fairly quickly. What, what does this look like for us? <clears throat> you know, brother, brother Samuel is going through the book of, of Proverbs with the teenagers written by Solomon, which is, again, one of the accolades that we would give to him as for being one of the wisest men to ever live by, by giving us, you know, kernels of truth to live by that are found in God's word. And, and, and really, if you, if you think about it from the perspective of Solomon telling someone to pursue wisdom he's not there's we sometimes put too high price too high a price on wisdom or we think that wisdom requires too much of a change to obtain sometimes you know and maybe in his applications brother samuel would say you know teenagers maybe you need to give this up or or maybe you need to set these things away or say no to these people but he's not exactly telling you to change anything about about your faculties you know your position doesn't change and even the tools that you have to care, in your stage of life, the tools that you have to make decisions doesn't change. It's simply, are you going to choose the decisions that lead to destruction are just from simply a result of your perspective being on uplifting self. As opposed to upholding truth, upholding God's truth. That's the distinction. That's all that it is. And you can find yourself in various positions in life. 
um, where there would be a need for wisdom and your position and your tools to carry out the role of your position would remain the same on both sides of the board, but wisdom makes a distinction. Let's take, I'm a husband now. I've been a husband for six months and I realized that I'm not as great as one that I thought I would, would be. <laughs> I, have, I have a position and I have tools to carry out that position and we live in the 21st century. Um, we, honestly, a lot of the things that we get done day to day as far as responsibilities that we have, we take care of those just simply through communication. The way that I communicate, my tongue, you know, and my tongue, I mean, really, the tongue is, is like a sword. And I can be confronted with a situation in which I'm obligated to respond with the situation accordingly with the tools that I've been given. And if I'm focused on uplifting myself, if my wife comes to me for something and you know, maybe she brings a concern and, and I'm, I'm, I'm stressed, I have things going on, but she says, she says, Jacob, I, I think that the, you're, you're losing your perspective on this or maybe this, you, you need to look at something over here. And, and I could, due to my position, take offense and say, well, you're, you're, that's a threat to my position. And I can choose to take my position and my tool and I can use my sword to damage my wife. Right. I can use my sword to produce an effect that I'm uplifting myself and I'm uplifting my position but at a loss, of, a loss of life, a loss of trust, a loss of, a loss of relationship. Whereas I could, I could turn around and, and use my words and divide the baby, so to speak. <laughs> but relying on the Lord's wisdom, being able to, to reach, a, reach, a, reach a resolution that upholds the truth rather than simply reinforces my position. As a parent, the, the same thing applies, you know, with, with our children or as a, as a wife with your husband. It can work vice versa. Any, and, and children, teenagers, children in here in the auditorium, the, the position's the same, especially in the context of words. That's the big one that I want to hit on tonight just because that's where I've been personally convicted about is that you're, in order to act with, with God's wisdom and the wisdom that you daily seek from the Lord, it doesn't require your position or tools to change. It simply requires your focus to change. Yeah. On what's more important to you, is it reinforcing your position, reinforcing your rights, reinforcing the privileges that you believe you deserve to have, or simply upholding the truth? Yeah. Right. Upholding God's principles that you know to be true, that you've been taught. So we'll draw it to a close tonight. That was a, it was a pretty quick application, and I, I spent most of it being technical because this was a very fascinating passage to me. And, and really, when I, when I looked at it from this perspective, a lot of things changed. It didn't just become this random story inserted into the middle of Scripture that seemingly didn't serve any purpose. You, employing employing that, that method of, of using the surrounding context, context to, to glean a deeper understanding in the passage I mean, is revolutionary, really. Yeah. And, and maybe tonight, maybe tonight, if, if over the process of this message, you know, you, you've come to, to, to relate to Solomon maybe, saying, you know, I, I've been acting in my own wisdom. I've, I've sought the Lord's wisdom. I've wanted to do things in the right way, but my, my judgment's been clouded on, and I can't decide whether I've been, you know, acting to uplift myself in my own position or to actually uphold the truth. And if, if that's something that the Lord's been dealing with you tonight about, then, then feel free, the invitation will be open. So let's all stand with our heads bowed. And our eyes closed. I will close us in a word of prayer, and then the piano will begin to play from the invitation, and Pastor will come. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, so thankful 
um, for your word and for how you've beautifully structured it to be much deeper than we could ever imagine it to be at the surface. And Lord, if we study to show ourselves approved, Lord, you'll show things to us that are far richer than than we ever could have anticipated. And Lord, I I pray that the truth tonight, as simple as it may have been, um, speak speak to the hearts of someone in here that would have needed to hear it. Lord, and and even if tonight was just a a practical application of some things that are being taught in our Sunday school classes, Lord, thankful for those that are taking the time to teach that and and the need that there is for for people to be able to do that effectively, to grow in their walk with you. Just ask that uh, they would take it to heart and maybe use it as an example to, to, to look at your word in a new light and to be able to understand things a little more clearly. Lord, we love you and we sure are thankful for all that you do for us and pray that you would bless this invitation time in Jesus' name.